Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Unheralded News and Pharisee Watch, the title of our program is All That Glitter Isn't Gold. And we're going to start out with a story here about Syria rebels clashing with Palestinians in Syria. And we'll discuss this. We have another story about Palestine and the recent flotilla that was redirected by the Israeli army. And then to finish this off, we're going to talk about tungsten-coated gold. And it kind of all kind of wraps together. First, let's, uh, Leslie, why don't you read the, this is just a portion of this story from the Lebanon Daily Star that's from the country of Lebanon. Leslie, why don't you read sure. the Chuck's introduction and summary of the story. Sure. Syria rebels clash with Palestinians as envoy do in China. This story from the Lebanon Daily Star gives us much to think about. It is no secret that many Philistines living in refugee camps in Syria after being driven from their home by the Israelis in 1967 and before, but this is the first we have heard of these Palestinians supporting the government of Syria against the quote-unquote rebels. Could it be we are deceived and that the Assad government deserves support rather than condemnation? Would not the refugees from Philistine know? Star writes, Tuesday's clashes near Damascus spread into the Yarmouk Palestinian camp, home to 148,500 people, after breaking out in a neighboring district, activists said. Rami Abdel Rahman, the director of the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, said the pro-regime Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine General Command had joined forces with the army after fighting spread into the camp. On the first day after Eid al-Adha Muslim holiday, which saw a bid for a ceasefire collapse amid renewed clashes, car bombings, and airstrikes, activists said that more than 500 people had died fighting over its four days. The failure of peace efforts prompted fierce condemnation from Qatar. The Prime Minister Sheikh Hamad bin Yassim al-Thani saying the international community was becoming complicit in a, quote, war of extermination, unquote. There were no immediate reports of casualties, but the Syrian Revolution General Council, a network of activists on the ground, said fighting was heavy between the rebel Free Syrian Army and Palestinian forces. There are more than 510,000 Palestinian refugees living in Syria and their leadership is largely supportive of President Bashar al-Assad's regime. Okay, so that ends the story there. Now, the interesting thing, Chuck, why don't you explain 
further here because we're getting some conflicting information from people that should know. Everybody in, the, in America who listens to the media, if they really listen to the media, would say that Bashar al-Assad is guilty of war crimes and the worst and that he is a murderer and that he's responsible for everything that's going on in Syria and that the army that's resisting him, which call themselves the Free Syrian Army, are the good guys. Well, we just don't know what the story is, and uh, there's so much unanimity among the media on the subject that it makes you wonder if everybody believes this. We have had friends in Syria who've told us that it is a dictatorship, that's true, and they've also told us that there are 500,000 Palestinians forced to live in Syria because they were driven out by the Israelis in times past, and that Syria accepted them, and even though they are treated as second-class citizens, at least they are there. Well, it's surprising to learn that some of these Palestinian refugees in this huge camp, imagine a camp with 148,000 people in it, and that's one of the big camps in Syria, and that these people have joined the government in fighting against the so-called rebels. So we ask the question, does this mean anything? And is it possible that uh, Palestinians who are in Syria would have a better idea of who the good guys were and who the bad guys were, were than we do from uh, listening to CBS? We have division among our own friends on this. I received a, a wire this afternoon from from a very dear friend who is an Eastern Muslim, uh, not from Palestine, but from Pakistan, and he's adamant that al-Bashar is the guilty party and he has to go, and, and he gives his logic and reasoning why only a small number of the Palestinians would uh, support al-Bashar. But we want to raise this question for our listeners that we should be suspicious of this wholesale charge of al-Bashar just simply because it's who it's coming from. And the media that uh, we're hearing this from have been wrong almost every time on all of these issues, including the Arab Spring issues, who the good guys and the bad guys are. They're wrong in Egypt, and they're wrong in other places as well. So it's a reason to be suspicious, and we're putting this story out here as a red flag saying, stop, think before you speak. And we know that one of the beneficiaries of all this instability could well be Israel. We know that they took the Golan Heights back in, what was that, 1973? Or was that what the 1967? Uh, uh, 1967, I believe. Which was part of They just took it. By ca- they captured it. They still hold it. Mm-hmm. Most of the water in Israel that they, that they use comes from the stolen Golan Heights, the occupied Golan Heights. So... Israel has been an enemy of Syria, and Syria has really openly supported those who are fighting for their freedoms against Israel, including Lebanon and, of course, Gaza and and all of Palestine. Syria also was a supporter of Iraq in in their uh, conflict, although they didn't dare support Iraq against the U.S. Well, I think it's interesting to note, Chuck, too, that there's quite a bit of water on the Syrian side of the Golan Heights. And that could, if things got destabilized and Israel decides to expand its territory, they certainly would have an eye on more water because, according to a water expert, the 
Israelis are running out of water, so they're desperately needing to find new sources. Right, right. And Lebanon, of course, has a big supply of water compared to to Israel, and Lebanon is is also very much involved in this. So we have to be very suspicious. I think it's uh, simply a call to be careful. Uh, any anybody else have any thoughts on uh, this Syrian thing? Any opinions? I guess I'm suspicious because our government is casting all the stones at al-Assad, and we know he's a dictator, and we knew that about Saddam Hussein, but we know how, I can't use the word fickle, I mean, in the case of Saddam Hussein, we were helping him in the early 80s, arming him, training his army, and so forth, so we see this consistent duplicity on the part of the United States government, which makes us wonder exactly what's going on there. We certainly don't have all the uh, insight in Syria. It will be interesting to see what shakes out after all this fighting hopefully ends. It's one that we can't answer now, but it it does also relate to another story about Israel, Tom, and the the flotilla action is still on. And the story about the member of parliament from Canada who led this flotilla attempting to get into Gaza, this uh, event was pretty much blacked out. You had to look hard to find any anything about the story. We didn't even hear about it when Israel occupied these ships. And it's the old story of who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, and it does come out in these stories if you read Between the Lions. Yes, okay. Why don't you read this story from Vancouver Times? Former Island MP back home after arrest in Gaza flotilla. Vancouver Times, Chuck Carlson writes, Another flotilla... This one got almost no publicity. Will Canada do anything to protect its citizens from being pirated on the high seas? Not from the looks of this story, which clearly recognizes Israel's right to occupy Gaza and control who goes in and how. Vancouver Times colonist writes, Jim Manley asks federal government to speak out for Palestinian people. After spending three days in an Israeli detention center for trying to break a maritime blockade of Gaza, a former island's New Democrat MP is back in B.C. where he remains unapologetic for his actions. Shortly after Jim Manley arrived in Vancouver International Airport en route to Nanaimo on Thursday, the 79-year-old retired United Church of Canada minister called on Canadians to pressure the federal government to speak out about the oppression and violence under which Palestinians live. A spokesman for Foreign Affairs Minister John Baird said Monday that the federal government recognizes Israel's legitimate security concerns over flotillas going into Gaza and asked those who want to deliver aid to Gaza to go through established channels. The blockade was imposed in 2007 after an Islamic militant group seized control of the territory. Manley was aboard the MV Estelle with European politicians and pro-Palestinian activists trying to break the blockade. Well, we don't happen to know this gentleman, but uh, 
we we are in contact with the, one of the other flotilla leaders, Paul Laradu, and he, of course, uh, was in prison just like Mr. Jim Manley was. I just spoke to Paul Laradu a couple of days ago, and he was actually attacked by the Israelis on board uh, this uh, first vessel in the flotilla, and he jumped into the Mediterranean Sea to prevent them from arresting him illegally in international waters on the ship that he had helped to pay for. Now, we didn't even hear them what happened to Mr. Manley, but we do hear from the Foreign Affairs Minister in Canada, John Baird, after the event is over, and uh, he voices his concern about Israel having legitimate concerns about flotillas going into Gaza. Uh, now, this ship was stopped in international waters, so Israel didn't have any right to do that. They stopped it 35 miles off the coast of Gaza. But still, the question would be, what about the legitimate concerns Gazans have about being able to have uh, people come and go into their country? And uh, why is it that Israel can establish procedures that require people that want to go visit Gaza have to go to Israel first and explain to the Israelis why they want to go to Gaza. Uh, this is essentially the way it works, and this is the way occupation works. Uh, you have the complete encirclement of the people of Gaza, and the reason that these blockades are being done is to force members of government in free countries to admit that Israel is basically imprisoning the people inside of Gaza. And they uh, did it again, and here the Canadian government simply sided with the Israelis and uh, even suggested that uh, Mr. Manley might owe an apology to someone for this. So think about the people in the neighboring Syria who have been living in a camp, perhaps in a tent or temporary, almost temporarily quarters, for 40 years, yeah. For a whole generation of people have lived there. And in Gaza, of course, you have a generation of people who have never been outside of the little 20-mile-long country. Of, I guess it's a country. It, does, it doesn't have country status. No one's ever been out of it uh, in, all, in their entire lives and can't get out. And no one can get in. So this story about the former M uh, MP, member of parliament, is encouraging because people are still trying, but it's uh, discouraging in that uh, we see that Israel gets away time and time again with piracy on the high seas, just capturing boats, taking people off. Manley said in uh, further in the article, he said that he didn't enter Gaza illegally because he was in the high seas in international water when he was captured on his, on his own ship, and he did enter Israel illegally because the Israelis took him there by force against his will and kept him in jail for three days before they let him send him home. So this is an idea of life in the western Mediterranean. And what's interesting, of course, too, is that Israelis are still using this Hamas card. They continue to call Hamas a terrorist organization and hold them up. Weren't that many years ago then that TLO was designated as a terrorist organization, so they don't want any kind of opposition. The people democratically elected the Hamas majority, as I understand it, even in the West Bank, but those those that won seats were actually jailed. 
so they basically jailed the Hamas in, in the West Bank. Leslie? The flotilla is for humanitarian aid because Israel has cut off the water and the sewage has been awful there and cut off supplies that right. they need. They limit the supplies. I mean, yes. they regulate the flow. Apparently. I've seen where they statistically have figured out many calories they need and supposedly they're adhering to this, but we know that's not true, that only about a quarter of what they really need gets in and the rest comes through the tunnel system. So an interesting note before we move on to our gold, gold that glitters story here, I'll just throw this one in. A New York Post gossip columnist reported earlier this month that she had been told that former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger said that Israel will not exist in 10 years. In a column published by the New York Post on September 17, Cindy Adams wrote, quote, reported to me, Henry Kissinger has stated, and I will quote that statement word for word, quote, in 10 years, there will be no more Israel, unquote. The Jewish Telegraphic Agency reported on Monday that a staffer who worked in Kissinger's New York office denied that her boss had made the quote. And it's understandable they would, would whether or not Henry made this, but some of the things that Israel is doing is really well documented in the book that was published by We Hold These Truths. It's called One, One Nation, Nation Under Israel. Israel. We republished it under that, that provocative title. It was originally published as Holocaust II, Saving Israel from Suicide. Now, that book was written in 1990. It's still valid today. By Andrew Hurley. Andrew Hurley. Thank you, Leslie. A corporate lawyer. Whether or not what Henry Kissinger said, if that were really true, it would be interesting why she would quote that if she didn't think there was some validity to it or trusted her source because of libel. Hmm. But we'll let you think about that one. Now, next story is, entitled Tungsten Bars Plated with Gold to Fool Buyers. This is posted in News Source. Uh, subtitle here is Fake Gold Bars. The story of one and a half million tungsten bars plated with gold to cheat buyers in China is one of those built. And here's what Chuck wrote. I heard this rumor a long time ago and doubted it. Just too much to accept. But seeing is believing. Worst of all, this could not have happened without involvement of someone in the Treasury and Fort Knox, where the fake gold may have come from. The evidence is in this short video by LiveLeaks.com is quite convincing. It would lead anyone who owns bank-held gold to wonder if there is anything backing the shares they hold. Leslie brought up Andrew Hurley's excellent book, which was originally entitled Holocaust II, Saving Israel from Suicide. And Hurley believed that these actions by the state of Israel, which we now see being played out in Syria and Gaza, uh, would eventually, uh, and everywhere and many other places in the globe, uh, uh, Iran, pending Iran, that these actions would eventually result in Israel being totally unacceptable in the world community and uh, that it would end up destroying the country and it would, would seek to cease to exist by virtue of national suicide. The plating of 
gold bars in what seems very likely the United States government had a part is a form of national suicide in our own country. And it's uh, national suicide conducted at a financial level where the uh, eventually the value of our currency is destroyed by massive printing, which we've talked about in other, in other stories that we've done on this program, the most recent of these being Ben Bernanke's recent announcement of an $80 billion per month bond purchasing program, and actually it's both stocks and bonds, ladies and gentlemen, and that by purchasing all of these securities with newly printed money, it's, of course, deflating the value of money and inflating the cost of everything that we buy with money. Now, a lot of people, of course, and that includes giant institutions and even banks and central banks, collect gold as a way of having a sound uh, trading vehicle that they can use to purchase money or purchase goods directly. And uh, a lot of individuals also believe in saving gold. And, of course, in the Far East, women wear it around their necks. And in Gaza, I saw men buying gold for their wives to wear on their arm as a way of carrying their wealth with them as they went around. This is the reason the gold market is important is because people use it to protect themselves. This story then tells us about fake gold bars that have been uncovered. I first heard about this several years ago, and there was not enough evidence presented to convince me that it could possibly be real. It simply sounded too big to be possible. But now, uh, of course, uh, we find that countries like China have bought shipments of gold that ran into the tons, literally tons of gold. And when they got it, they found out two things about it. First, that it was not gold. It was tungsten that's worth about a dollar a pound with gold plated over the top in a very thick layer. And that was their first discovery about it. And then the second discovery was that these tungsten bars had markings on them that identified them with Fort Knox. They had actually been stored in Fort Knox at one time Mm -hmm. before they landed in China. When you watch this little video, you will see gold traders. These are ordinary businessmen who deal in gold, who were suspicious of gold they bought, and they hydraulically cut uh, one of these tungsten bars in half, and they could peel the gold back off of the tungsten like you'd peel candy bar wrapper off, let's say. Uh, It's a thick layer of gold that's coated on the tungsten so that the tungsten actually would be completely covered. And because of the weight similarity between gold and tungsten, they were able to fool even professionals with this for a long time. And now it seems that everybody and their brother is suddenly running down to their vault to look at their gold bar to see if it if it might be real or not. And the story even gives you a little practical way of, of determining whether your bar is real gold or not by thumping it and listening carefully to the sound. Literally thousands of these bars, it was then also determined that back during the administration of Bill Clinton that the Treasury ordered a engraving company to make slabs of 
tungsten in the exact sizes of gold slabs. And there is no reason to form tungsten into a one ounce, 10 ounce, and 400 ounce bars. But that was actually done, and those tungsten bars ended up being held in Fort Knox. And this has been pretty well established. And then what happened to the tungsten, how it got played and how it got out of Fort Knox, how it got to China, how it got into gold shops all over the country. And then the question is, of course, if people buy into the most popular form of gold ownership today is called exchange-traded funds. And these are bankers who essentially create a security out of gold and uh, you buy stock in their fund, and they buy gold in, and keep it in a bank, and if you want yours, you supposedly can get it. Well, this leads to the very interesting question, what if your exchange-traded fund has fake gold, and you, yeah. and you try to get your gold, what is it that you're going to get? Are you going to have any ability to collect, or are you just going to be told, sorry, we seem to have been cheated? We all have our bad days. So we invite people to listen and watch this uh, little video that we've posted. We think it has a lot of merit to it. We think it has to be true, at least in the case it's shown. But one question that also it needs to be asked, even of our representatives in Congress, as Ron Paul did a number of years ago, he was urging that the gold in Fort Knox be inspected which is, would be a reasonable uh, request. request, yes. It's supposed to be a national asset. Yes. Right. Like the Capitol building. should be able to visit it. <laughs> Travis, Travis any thoughts? Kind of... no, I remember, Chuck, when we talk, discussed that way back then. You and I looked it up, and the specific weight of tungsten and gold, very similar, wasn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, because, incredibly, tungsten is so close to gold in weight, they were able to fool experts that normally, uh, you know, weigh these things and, right. and have ways of very quickly determining the specific gravity of what they have so it couldn't be lead or something like that. But lo and behold, it could be a tungsten. And apparently... And it is surprising that this was uncovered those years back when we discussed it, Travis. And Yeah, they uh, kept it hidden for quite a while, didn't this, they? This is yeah, the ultimate and, shell game. Yeah. Well, the thing, these were not plated. They were coated, so it was a much thicker coating. So the big bars had about $3,000, so there's probably a couple ounces of gold in it. So there was, there was enough there to as opposed to plating, which could be scratched off very easily. I'm sure they did that to get the weight closer to uh, pure gold. Well, plus but plus also stamping it. So they'd stamp <laughs> marking on there. In oh, other yeah. Words, there's identification marks on there that you know that verify the authenticity and so forth like that. Right. And they're deeply stamped into the bar. That's the characteristic of precious metals is they're malleable and you can stamp them and that's what they do. Well, and they're probably doing this on just the larger bars because like a one ounce piece of gold would be very unlikely, particularly if it was a, yeah. a, a U.S. Gold Eagle or the Canadian Maple Leaf or the 
The film South shows African a 10-ounce bar uh, being, ten ounce uh, bars. being cut open, and yeah. it, it shows that quite in, in quite pretty vivid detail. So uh, what is happening here? Well, it looks like the whole idea of Fort Knox, this is a jump, a little bit of a jump to a conclusion, but if Fort Knox bought, commissioned, and stored tens of thousands of these slabs or these slugs, uh, the tungsten bars, and they had those shipped to Fort Knox where they were stored, and, of course, we don't know how the gold got on the tungsten bars. But Fort Knox, well, they were, do, somebody did it. Would, do, you, do you think that the tungsten, maybe the, the government plan was to sh sink the ship of state with the tungsten bars? Uh, it was to steal the gold and replace it with <laughs> tungsten bars and then to sell the tungsten bars to people like China that turn in dollars and want to get uh, want to get gold for their dollars, they yeah. sell them. They obviously, it probably didn't come directly from the United States government, but somehow or another China and other countries have received these. And China now has, I'm told, a policy of immediately melting all of uh, precious metals they buy and recasting it and uh, doing an assay, a, a wet assay of it. Before they recast it, because, because I think according to the story, that they had like six hundred thousand. The Chinese bought six hundred thousand of these bars, or something like they that. They bought like, in this one in this one shipment. I think the number was uh, was something like fifty six hundred bars, but they were four hundred ounces each. So it was okay. tons and tons and tons of gold. I don't know how many tons that would be. Quite, quite a bunch of tons. And China has bought a lot of gold. For a while now, we're not sitting here feeling sorry for China, but we're feeling sorry for Americans because number one, if the gold that backs our money has been completely debased, given away, stolen, and probably a lot of it by the bankers themselves, then what is left for us in our country if we fall into an economic problem where we're dependent upon our money? And uh, then, on the other hand, we see this printing binge going on before us where the paper money is being printed, and it's difficult to convert that into anything uh, permanent. So people are buying gold jewelry and gold coins, uh, I guess, for that reason. And it's long been said that gold coins are, are unlikely to be fake. Okay, with this parting note, Ladies and gentlemen, just remember, all that glitters is in gold, and if you think it's gold, double-check. It may be fool's gold. It could be fool's gold. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast, and please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.